Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I want to hear cannons. Downfield, pop over the five, touchdown Tampa Bay. Mike Evans does it again. Fire the cannons, Bucks. It's first and goal. Hello and welcome back to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. I'm your host as always, Rhett Matthew, joined alongside me for today's show. From Bucks Game Day and the host of the sick podcast, Pirate uh, Parlay, say that five times fast, J.C. Allen joins the podcast. It's been a minute, but a pleasure to have you back, J.C. Good to see you again. Yeah, how we doing? Love to be here. Chop it up. I think I've called in the last few times, but have to be on screen with you. Chop it up. Talk this Bucks loss, where they go from here, what lays ahead for the season, and kind of just dive into it. Yeah, I'm excited to pick your brain about where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are right now, because you've been around for a few seasons, and you know that... This fan base can get a little emotional at times. Uh, I, I don't yes. know if that's an understatement in itself, but the Buccaneers are looking at a three and five record after starting three and one and losing four straight times. Now, Todd Bowles obviously going to be in the hot seat for a lot of Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans. And following last weekend's performance, especially the defensive performance at the end of the game, I think he should be. There's a lot of issues with this Bucs team clearly still at the halfway point of the regular season. And I don't know if it's going to be cleaned up before the end of the year, but a lot of these issues can be linked back to coaching. A lot of complaints coming out of that game against the Texans. Obviously, the clock management at the uh, issue at the end of the game, electing to take the timeout instead of the 10-second runoff and giving uh, C.J. Stroud just the perfect amount of time to go 75 yards for a touchdown while setting a rookie record as well. So things are not great for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I am here to basically ask you the million-dollar question with a lot of people up in arms about Todd Bowles and his position this week. Is he really that much on the hot seat? Because this is about the time of year. This is about the amount of losses that you get when more and more reports start popping up from quote-unquote insiders saying that, hey, Todd Bowles, he's on the hot seat. But again, the Glazers don't have a reputation of firing guys in the middle of the season. So, So what's going on with Bowles right now? Yeah, I don't think he's fired in the, during the season by any means. Um, I, I wouldn't say the seat is hot. I will say it is warm. If you're turning the night the dial on like your your stove top, he's probably on five out of ten right now. Um, so it's getting warm. It's not hot. You know, the Glazers understood what was going to have to happen after you know with this transition period uh, with Bulls taking over in pr- practically April not being able to put together a staff this season, having to pay that Brady bill from the Super Bowl, which worth it, <laughs> you know, you won the Super Bowl, but still about 40% of this cap space is on players who are not playing for this team, whether that's dead money or in the case of obviously Ryan Jensen and Russell Gage injury. So, you know, there was always an understanding that this is going to take some time. Bulls has still not been able to his ultimate team. They had to go bargain bin shopping with guys like Greg Gaines and Ryan Neal, who was PFF's highest graded safety and has just not played up to those standards for sure this season. 
Um, and then, you know, there's 12 rookies on this team. There was 13 to start the season, but there's 12 rookies on this team, three of them in starting positions. So there's a, you know, there's always this, this transition period that was going to go on. And there was always this leash with, with, with bulls. It wasn't necessarily a short leash. It was, you know, like we know, we know what you're dealing with last year, obviously didn't end well. Um, Eight and nine probably would have been nine and eight if they kept the starters in for that game seventeen. Let's just call it a spade a spade what it is. Uh, but then uh, unceremoniously bounced out of the first round by uh, a Cowboys team that was better than them. Um, Bucks fans like to admit it or not. Um, that that's kind of soured in people's. And then you just fast forward to this season and you're on a high three and one into the bye. Let's go. But to be honest, and if you guys follow any of my work, you know I had the Bucks at four and four in this junction. So they're one game off where I was, um, you know, and I think, you know, heartbreaking losses in both of those games. Um, yes, you'd like to see the Bucks score more points against the Falcons, which I thought was, should have been a win. But at the end of the day, it was a defense that lost in that game. Um, you know, the defense kept them in it, obviously, with a lack of points scored. But the defense lost that game with uh, John Smith, not, you know, and just missed coverage assignments. You look at the Tyler Algier play, the Scotty Miller play. It's been the defense that has kind of let teams creep back into these games and kind of win. I mean, you look at every game the Bucks have played this season so far, they're in these games right until halftime at, and even further than that in a lot of them. Um, they're not out, out of these games, and that's, you know, credit to the defense. That's credit to the offense, you know, being able to do just enough to stay, stick around and be a thorn in their side. But there's got to be dramatic changes going forward. Um, you look at this past game against the Texans, the defense lit up eight explosive plays, 20 yards or more down the field, including a 75-yard uh, bomb, and then obviously marching down the field in that final play. The defense has got to do better. Um, this this loss falls on them. The offense finally got things going. The running game finally started getting going. Utilizing White as an extension of that running game, you add those numbers up. He was over 100 yards. Um, you know, the play calling was well, a little questionable here and there on the offense, but the most part, they did their job. Um you know, I, I think why you put Bulls on this hot seat is because of the defense continuing to let up these explosive plays, continuing to to put players in a scheme, uh, game plan scheme that's not working. It, it's just not working for them. You have two of the best uh, press man coverage corners in the league in Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean. Two days ago, Jamar Chase comes out and says, Carlton Dean's the toughest cornerback he's ever gone against. And that's True. I mean, he's a he's a shutdown guy. We've seen it over and over again. Julio in his prime, you know, DeAndre Hopkins in his prime, Devontae Adams in his prime, Jamar Chase last year, Jay Jetta. You know, he's he's shut down these guys. Um, but when you're asking him to play a, a, a way that he's not comfortable or that he doesn't excel in, you know, it, it's going to lead to to big plays. And um, Bulls playing the soft coverage of the last four games is a big reason why they've lost these games. It, it, you're, you're backing up your cornerbacks 10 yards off the line, and you know, you're allowing guys who can do damage in space to do just that, or um, guys to get running head starts to you know, go by um, you know, uh, the, the cornerbacks. So it's one of these things where um, – the offense took a step in the right direction. Defense took a step in the wrong direction. Who coaches the defense? It's Todd Bowles. Uh, if you can't get this, get it turned around, if you can't fix these clock management things, there's a good chance they'll be fired at the end of the season. I'm just not there yet. I'm not hearing that yet. Um, 
But I mean, these are these are game plan issues and game plan decisions that he's making that are that are in in essence either allowing teams to win these games, allowing teams to stay in these games, and allowing teams to just to bend but don't break defense. Just not going to work when you're an aggressive guy. Uh, it, it's 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 just uh, kind of mind boggling what he's doing out there. In our season predictions, I also had the Bucks four and four at this point, and I, I said something similar after the game on Sunday. You know, I said I don't want to overreact because even after an emotional game like that, when you do a podcast right after the game, people tend to overreact. But you know, talking about Todd Bowles, I, I guess riding the ship and getting things back on track for this Bucks defense, the step back that they took against Houston, it makes it that much more embarrassing that it happened against a rookie QB. But I said this, and I still kind of stand by it, and if I have to eat crow, then I will, but I feel like that's going to be the defense's worst game of the year. We're going to look back at the end of the season, no matter how many more games they win. I mean, if they lose every single game from here on out, then clearly there is a much bigger issue at play. But I don't think that'll be the case. I think they'll win a few more games, and maybe they'll compete for the NFC South down the stretch because that division is still open as well with an Atlanta Falcons loss last weekend. But... You know, I I think that the context, not only of this being the first year Todd Bowles gets to assemble his own staff, plus the cap hell that the Bucs had to drag themselves out of, I'm kind of with you and where my gut says the Glazers are going to be a little bit more patient than maybe most of the fan base would like with the head coach like Todd Bowles. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, fan is short for fanatic. (laughs) Sometimes fanatical people, it's funny because Tampa Bay is a, is not a very large fan base. It's a small fan base, but um, the fans are very passionate. And they've gone so long with losing, and then they finally got this taste of victory with Brady and stuff. And they want those good times to keep rolling. And it's not just as simple as that all the time. Um, you know, so then you start to find any, th- any little thing you can nitpick about to, to make it a bigger, bigger ordeal. I mean, you look at what this team had to deal with um, coming out of these out of this Brady year, and even last year to an extent too, with, with Byron Leftwich as a coordinator, um, just you know that was a team that probably underachieved by a large by a large amount. But you, you know, with Bull, like that's why I've said I don't think I don't necessarily think it's a lot that Bulls is fired after this year. Mm-hmm. I think the Glazers understand, and you know they love him. Jason Light loves him, and I think everyone's in the understanding of okay been handicapped the last two seasons um he hasn't been able to put a full stamp on this team you know he had to go out and get bargain bin as jason light gem, find gems in the bargain bin section of the dollar general you know he had to you know go to the draft and really find guys who were smart enough that he could maybe find rotational roles for him they struck gold with christian Isian. Klaja Kansi's lived up to everything that was promised as a first round pick and more Cody Mock got us he has his detractors, but he's been very, pretty much very well uh, done a very well job at that guard spot as he continues to go. And I think this week too, the run game didn't blow you away, right? 73 yards on the ground by Rashad white. They didn't like you weren't super, but there was plays there where you see, okay, it looks like this is starting to become second nature for these guys the scheme instead of just thinking about what you have to do on any specific run, uh, run call. So, you know, everything is trending in the right direction except for the wins, <laughs> you know, that's the thing. And, and that's, you know, you do or die by your record. Uh, you are what your record says you are right now. The bucks are three and five. 
I agree with you that I don't necessarily think that, you know, they're going to put as bad as a performance. They might get beat badly again by a team like, let's say, maybe the 49ers, uh, just because of the things Kyle Shanahan can do in that offense. We saw it last season. Um, but I don't think, you know, you, you go down the line, they've got the Titans coming up this weekend. They've got the Colts later on. They've got the Panthers twice. They've got the Saints again, the Falcons again. Then they got the Jags and the 49. I mean, they can literally – if they win six of those games, you know, they're standing at nine and eight and in a good, pretty good spot. They're only a game and a half out of the – I think while it's okay to be emotional upset after that game and after this four-game losing skid, and even more so if they can't handle business this weekend at home, I think it's also okay to take a step back and say, okay, there's plenty of football left. We've seen good and bad from both sides of now, you know, um, if they can put this all together and, and bring out the good on both sides, there's a shot that they can make a little run here uh, and put themselves in a, in a good spot going forward. We are talking with JC Allen of Bucks game day and the host of the sick podcast, pirate parlay here on the cannon fire podcast. Phones are on, by the way, we are live. Give us a call 305-224-1968 talking head coach, Todd Bowles and everything Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Speaking of Todd Bowles, I wanted to talk a little bit more on the topic of the locker room and some of the players on the team because Todd Bowles, while you know he has been head coach of the Bucks, he definitely hasn't been as vocal as a guy like Bruce Arians was about maybe some guys on the roster needing to step up. And for Todd Bowles, seems like 95% of his answers at the podium are just coach talk. Like it, That's kind of what he's known for. He's not overly expressive, and a lot of people hold that against him. But this week... He alluded to some of the guys on the starting defense just needing to be better. And, and simply put, he is not satisfied with where they are. You're a guy who is pretty close to the pulse of the locker room day in and day out. You hear things week in and week out. A lot of people are quick to say that, you know, oh, Bowles has lost the locker room. These players don't want to play for him. But all you've heard about from especially these Bucks defensive players and the guys who have been here for years, for four to five years now with Bowles, they love him. They love playing for him. But... You know, Bowles finally starting to maybe point the finger and and have some of these players show a little bit of accountability. Um, do you think that's a good thing? Do you think Bowles is is maybe losing his patience? Uh, and is he losing his grip on on anything player related? It's tough for a fan to go from Bruce Arians to Todd Bowles. All right, <laughs> I mean he'll he'll call you out. He doesn't care. You know, but Bowles protects his players. A little bit more. He's not going to call guys out. I just talked about this on WDAE this morning. Um, he's not going to call his guys out. This is not his MO as a coach. Behind closed doors, he's going to have those conversations. He's going to sit down. I mean, this is a guy who pretty much has a DB room in his office every day. You know, they come up there, they talk about the game plan, they talk about uh, getting better at their craft and different things. And I think, um, you know, the reports of him or, or just fans thinking that he's losing his locker room is way too premature. I don't think there's anything. I mean, I'm sure you're looking at different situations where, okay, the defense was doing their job and the offense wasn't doing their job. And, you know, there's a little bit like, come on, like this offense has got to get going. Like we're doing, like we're holding these guys under 18 points. You got to score yeah. 20 points. And then maybe that this year, this week, you know, there's a little bit internally, not like voice, but internally like, man, we put up 37 points and the defense can't hold on. So what they're doing, like, come on, like, finally we get something going and collapse by the defense. What's going on, you know? But, it, it, you know, like, those are internal thoughts by players and coaches. Those aren't things that are being, you know, ac accusations being tossed across the locker room. You've got to do better. Now, the locker room is pretty cohesive. I mean, these guys, offense, defensive side, they're also, they're all, they all talk to each other. They're all, you know, communicative with each other. They're out there playing chess 
playing um I forget the little tossing game that they have in there. Like I don't think there's any or any any you know signs of the locker room being lost by bulls or or by each other um we've heard all season how the locker room's night and day difference from last year a lot of me guys last year now not not the case these guys have bought in as a team bought into the culture and that's going to continue um so there's no you know, losses suck. Losses happen. Is everybody in a good mood when you go into open locker room? No, <laughs> you know, but they're trying to, it's a job at the end of the day. And it, you know, you, everyone has bad days, you know, yesterday was a Monday, bad day, <laughs> you know, coming back into work, you know, but you move on to the next day and you do the best you can to put out the best output you can. And that's what they're focused on. Yeah. They're putting the losses in the rear view, moving on to the next game. Yeah, they highlighted comments made by quarterback Baker Mayfield on the broadcast last Sunday. There is no drama in this Bucks unit, and that's a good thing to hear, especially when you've got a lot of guys that you were concerned about over the offseason. I mean, maybe you shouldn't be concerned about guys like Devin White and Mike Evans being a distraction, but there are guys on this team who clearly have their own issues between them and the franchise, and whether it gets worked out one way or the other, the biggest thing you can hope for is that it doesn't become a distraction. And so far this season, even with four straight losses, uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. So definitely some good news to hear moving forward, talking about the cohesiveness of this Buccaneers team. We do have a $10 super chat from our buddy Deontay. He says, what's up, fellas? I think a big thing with this team this year is a lot of guys are underperforming outside of Levante, David, Vita Vea, and Antoine Winfield Jr. on the defensive side of the ball. Shaq Barrett's coming off of an Achilles tear. I'm not too critical of his play right now, but JC, while we are talking about the defense, before we go to the other side of the ball, there have been some guys underperforming this year. I mean, Devin White had a pretty big game last week, had the uh, the first quarterback sack of the season. <laughs> yeah, which is which is incredible for a guy who is as notorious off the ball as he is. But, you know, he had a big game last week, but he's been a little bit quiet this year. Antoine Winfield Jr. has been the best safety in football, but... The rest of that secondary hasn't been great. You know, Jamel Dean dealing with injury. Hopefully we get an update here soon on him. And Carlton Davis with just a rough game last week. What do you say about some of the underperformers on on the uh, the defensive side of the ball this year? And are these going to be more holes the Bucks have to address in the coming offseason? The Bucks got to get pressure. They've got to get pressure more, with, yeah, especially with so four bad. without blitzing. <laughs> that has been really, really uh, a tough point of emphasis for them. Uh, you know, Vita Vea, Kalaja Kansi can only do so much in the middle. But Shaq Barrett, tremendous guy setting the edge against the run. Uh, you, you know, he had the strip sack um, this week. Couldn't recover the fumble, which I think would have been a game-changing play if they could have got that back. You know, a, a lot of fans like to point the finger at JTS, but he's – Bowles has put him in coverage so much this season. He's actually on pace, and shout out to Josh Capo, for 100 less snaps – uh, pass rush snaps than he did last season because of how much he's being dropped in the coverage in that zone, uh, playing that zone coverage. So, you know, he's got to do more of the opportunities he's given. We had a nice sack two weeks ago on Josh Allen. Again, he's got to, they've got to get more from their pass rush rotation. Um, it's difficult because you see the impact Antoine Winfield can have when you bring him down there. But when you bring him down there, you're leaving a big hole in the back end. And that was, you know, partially filled by by Ryan Neal, who's not a traditional free safety. He's got some versatility there. He's not traditional free safety. He's better in the box. And you saw him, you know, miss miss assignments and you know guys get behind him or switches not made and not communicated. 
Um, so, I mean, you can't bring Antoine Winfield down in the box every time to use him as a blitzer. Finally, you get the sack from, from Devin White, uh, which I'm sure they love to utilize more. But um, I, I think everyone, you know, outside of Winfield, outside of Vea, outside of Cansey, I'll give him right now because he's been playing lights out. And Levante David, who had a brutal, brutal missed tackle. So uncharacteristic of him um, to allow a touchdown. But the rest of these guys, they need to step it up. And they need to step it up soon. Part of it, I think, too, is just the amount of zone and soft zone they're playing. It's just not something that I, I think benefits what this team is good at. And, and, and both, I asked them last Monday after the loss, and that you know, would you, why aren't you playing your best corners at what they do um, in man coverage? And you know, he pretty much said that he doesn't want to put, put other guys who might not necessarily be good in man coverage and put the leave them out to dry. Um, I'm thinking he's talking about Christian Isian and maybe Ryan Neal there. Um, but at one point now you're – so you're not leaving them out to dry, but you're also not letting your best guys do what they do best and impact the game the way they know how and the way they can, the way they've showed they can. So it's like, you know, there's give and take there. I think we need to see more man coverage uh, to allow better performances from some of these guys. What it's going to do is it's allow it, – it's a trickle-down system, right? If you've got – the pass rush can't get home if he's got these 10-yard cushions to the wide receivers where the quarterback knows he can do a quick pass if the pressure's coming and get the ball out quickly. You know He's going to take those every single day. If the pressure's coming and you've got a guy and your corners are playing 10 yards off, hit him for the quick seven yards, hopefully he can make some magic happen and bring it down the field for more or get a quick first down. When you've got your guys playing man coverage and bump and run and they're physical up the line, dis- disrupting routes, that's allowing – I mean, it's basic football. That's a that's preventing the routes from getting started early. It takes the time to reset, get back on their route tree. While they're doing that, the pressure's coming after the quarterback. and it, It's errant throws. It's incompletions. It's more time to allow you – know, that's why they say – pressure and and corners go hand in hand you know you got covered sacks you got you know pressure like so it's just maddening to me that because of other teams other you know players liabilities he's going to change the whole system up that he has to you know cover up for those weaknesses while allowing teams to exploit them in other areas but i mean i just i just don't understand and i'm not the only one (laughs) Yeah, the Bucks defense has been, has been a tale of of the league's best and the worst examples throughout this season. After last week's game, the Buccaneers officially have the worst passing defense in the NFL, allowing the highest yards per game average. But headed into this game, they had the best red zone defense in the NFL. And it's crazy, too, when we talk about this defense. Because for what? Seven out of eight games, we've talked about the defense keeping Tampa in this game. And God, man, you hold these teams to 20 points, to 18 points. Uh, You hold the Eagles to what was it, 26 or 24 points at home. I mean, there's a lot of good things you've done this year on the defensive side of the ball. And while the pass rush hasn't necessarily been there and they're giving up a lot of yards per game, you can successfully have a bend but don't break kind of defense in the NFL. And I do think that with the problems they still have, this defense has played good enough to win, but in classic Bucks timing, you talk about how when the offense takes one step forward, the defense takes one step back. So I wanted to talk about the other side of the football now and, and point to that really the third quarter in Sunday's game against Houston because it, it seems like that's where it was the beginning of the end. You know, the Bucks had a comfortable lead headed into halftime. At one time, it was a two-possession lead. And on the offensive side of the ball, 
even though the defense was having a rough day, the Bucs had more than a couple of chances to put that game away in the third quarter, and they simply didn't do anything. I mean, they were completely inept on the offense in that third quarter. And, and with Dave Canales, you know, he's going to take his lumps as a first-year play caller. Totally get that. He's going to learn how to adjust his game plan situationally week in and week out. But when you look at that third quarter and you look at what the Bucks' offense brought onto the field in the second half, back on the topic of maybe, you know, trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, what went wrong for Dave Canales and the offense out there? There's, you know, like, as you said, you know, he's going to struggle, um, you know, with different calls and stuff. Execution is always going to be part of it as well. You know, they come out of halftime um, and, and things just kind of felt flat. Um, then they have that god-awful series um, with uh, with Keyshawn Vaughn hitting three. That's a whole – the running backs are, are an entirely different conversation we're going to have in a few minutes here. Right. So, I mean, they, they get points on the board, but they're aided by a huge penalty. Um, so it's the unnecessary roughness penalty. But other than that, they're, you know, they're missing guys. They try a little fun flea flicker thing. It just doesn't work. They make enough yards to get into, uh, you know, a 49-yard field, field goal range. But after that, it just went downhill from there. I mean, I think they had like 19 yards passing in the, in the third quarter it was just something ridiculous where they were just not able to move the ball at all you know sacks negative yard plays that Keyshawn Vaughn series was disgusting um I don't know I mean I wish I I had the I had the answers of why things couldn't get going for them um you you come in a halftime you think you'll have these adjustments to make and say, okay, this is what they're going to do to try to combat what we're doing. Let's get after it and let's, um, you know, take advantage of these things. But when they got down, you know, closer to the red zone and into Houston territory, they just couldn't couldn't connect and couldn't keep drives, sustain, sustain drives and keep them alive, you know. They got bailed out. The only reason they hit those two field goals in the second in the third quarter is because of huge penalties. You know, the unnecessary roughness hit on Baker or on Rashad White, and the defensive pass interference on Trey Palmer. Um, other than you, you lose those two plays, and you're probably not even in field goal range. Um, and it's a quicker three and out. So they've they've got to get, I think, more. They took plenty of deep shots. Um, that wasn't a problem this game. You know, they had the big one to, to, to Mike Evans for 54 yards. They connected, you know, that Trey Palmer would have been a connection for 50, for 37 yards if he wasn't, you know, interfered with um, probably a touchdown at that point. Um, so kudos on Griffin for, for, for making the penalty, smart penalty there. Um, but just relying on what, what, what you win with, and that's a passing game. You know, right now the running game isn't doing it for you. And to stay stubborn to the run game, I mean, just remember, like, back-to-back runs on first and second down ain't going to do it for you. So there's um, there there's a, a tons of reasons why. I mean, defenses are playing against you, too. You know, it's not just all the offense. you got to take what you get, and sometimes it's not there. But they've got to find a way to step on the gas, put the foot on the throat, and just finish. Um, and it's not something the Bucks have been able to do. Um, all season. So, I mean, 37 points was great. They got the touchdown when they needed to to go ahead. 
in a back and forth game, but you know, it, they they could have had opportunities earlier to to end it there, but you know. Yeah, let's let's talk about the run game really quick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We alluded to it earlier in the show, but Rashad White definitely coming out of his shell these last couple of weeks. What is it? Two, three straight games now with over 100 yards from scrimmage. He's become quite the factor in the receiving game, which while we talk about the offense and what they're going to look like week in and week out, I think with just the short passing game and getting Rashad White more involved, I love what we have seen. I love that it feels like Dave Canales and this offense, they're finally figuring out how to use Rashad White the way that they promised they were in the offseason. It took him a little while, but, you know, we talk about this uptick in offensive production. He's definitely a huge part. Yeah, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while for that offensive line to kind of get the scheme down and get to know everybody and get that running game going. But why it took so long to utilize Rashad White in the passing game is a question because um, we've seen the results that have happened so far. I mean, he had one for 33 yards this week. You know, for every time he's been targeted in the last three games, he's made a catch. You know, um, there was seven catches the game before, six catches the game prior to that. He's made every reception that's been thrown to him and has opened up that that extension of the run game that has um, opened up some of those deep shots as well. You know, uh, just because, again, it's been disproven that you don't need to run game to run play action. But when you're utilizing those those short, quick screens, you're bringing guys closer in the box. So when you do it and, you know, there's, I don't want to say stubbornness, but their willingness to continue to try to get the run game going has to account for that. So you're not having guys backed up on you when you're utilizing white out of the backfield, when you're still running the ball, even if it's for one yards or minus one yards, those things work hand in hand to a setup an efficient play action game. Um, and, you know, Mike's catch came for, came on that 54 yard catch came on play action. And those things help set that up. It also moves the ball. White is great in space. You know, he's good at making tackles miss. Um, so utilizing him in that role is certainly something they need to keep doing, doing it forward. Um, you know, I thought they should have done more of it against the Texans. So have really struggled uh, guarding the flat. Um, you only had four catches. Again, you saw that, that one catch went for 33 yards. Um, I feel like they should have went back to that more. But again, it's neither here nor there. Um, 73 yards on the round was was encouraging to see as well. You can see Stinney opening up more, whole, you know, definitely a boost on that offensive line and opening up the run game. But, you know, like I said earlier, like it's going to take some time for that scheme to develop and, and for guys to know, you know, exactly what they're doing second nature. Um, it's not the most complicated scheme, but it's not the easiest scheme either. And when you're learning with everybody on that line is playing next to somebody new, um, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time for it to become second nature. And I think you're starting to see that as the, as the weeks go on. And in the last couple of weeks, we've seen an increase in that running game and an uptick in production. Yeah, second year back, Rashad White taking some solid steps in the right direction, which is exactly what fans have been clamoring for as the season goes on. But while we continue the conversation on the run game, Oh, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, I just wanted to get your quick two cents on this because we talk about the utilization of these running backs. And again, you know, you're figuring out how to use Rashad White. And I can understand why we do see an increase in Keyshawn Vaughn between this season and last season. And I think, unfortunately for Sean Tucker, the writing was on the wall for him being the third running back. And then Chase Edmonds comes back. So he's seemingly your running back too, since he gets a couple of carries a game now. But is there ever going to come a point where the Bucks just say, F it, we really want to see what we have in Sean Tucker? Because I feel like with Keyshawn Vaughn, every single week, 
he gets the ball and you know what's going to happen. Opposing defenses know what's going to happen. He's he's Mr. 1.5 yards per carry. Yeah, you know, out there four four times this this week, nine yards, just can't do anything. I mean, at least Chase Edmonds was was bad this week. Three three uh three attempts for five yards, negative one point seven yards per carry. But for for Sean, it's just staying after practice, really, and having Vita Vea or Kalijah Cansey come test you in pass pro. As soon as his pass pro is better, I think they'll try to work him in there a little bit more. But that's why Vaughn is in there. As of right now, you know, even though it's frustrating because they trust Vaughn's pass pro more, but he's not out there for pass pro snaps. So it's like, what are you doing then? Just let the kid play. Because uh, he's the fastest running back you have on the team. Um, I'm right there with you. Send Vaughn to the moon. We've seen enough. Um, he's just not he, – he's not even a number two running back in the NFL. Yeah, and he's not even that good in special teams. So what does he do? I would not be surprised if he's out of the league after this season, to be honest with you. This is the last year in his contract. Uh, I hope he saved his money or went to grad school while he was in, <laughs> while in the offseason because like, there's, I don't think there's going to be a role for him with it. Just seeing what we're seeing week in and week out. He can't create anything. He's pretty much what he is, a one-cut rusher. You know, if, if there's a hole there, he'll get some yardage. But everything's got to be perfect for him in order to succeed. And, you know, um, I think where Rashad White was doing too much earlier in the season, um, Keyshawn Vaughn just doesn't do anything. You know, he's like, get the rock and go. Um, I, yeah, I, I they should be on the lookout for a running back. I don't know in the draft if they should be looking for a running back. Hasn't worked out too well for, uh, for Jason Light there. Hasn't been able to draft one. I don't know what the running back landscape looks like in free agency. Um, I know there'll be a couple big names, but I don't know if they want to shell the money to it unless they can kind of build a good team around them. But definitely, um, definitely need at least another backup running back after the season because Vaughn isn't it. And I, I would love to see more Tucker, but until they, until they feel like they can trust him with pass protection, we're just not going to see him. Yeah, it's a tough look. And I mean, for Jason Light, it's a third round pick that a lot of people are just going to say is a wasted pick. And, and that's okay. I mean, he's been no yeah, stranger of easy. shying away from some of his some of his past mistakes, but he does have a pretty I, good track record as of late. And Vaughn just just hasn't been one of those guys. I would say Vaughn is more of a wasted pick than than Kyle Trask. Even yeah. if Kyle Trask never yeah. sees the field for the Buccaneers, I would say that he is more of a wasted pick in the third round. This is a pretty early third rounder, too. Yeah. It was... Uh, I think pick 14, that was the year that they they drafted uh, Worf. So it was like, yeah, it was like pick 14. So mid, mid fourth, uh, third round pick. Um, you know, I feel I'm always in, in the business that you should always be developing quarterbacks. There should always be a developmental quarterback on your practice squad or on your team that you're, they're trying to see and bring out the best of them. So I, and you look at who was drafted behind him. And after, I'm sure you can go into like the fourth round and say, well, they could have had on Monroe St. Brown, you know, but how many teams passing on him into the fourth round? But, um, you know, it was, who else made it? Who else has made a, a real difference, you know, especially from Trask to Hainsey um, for any other team? There's maybe two two guys, maybe, if that, you know, everyone else is just, eh, they're not doing anything. So, yeah, but Vaughn, Vaughn was a, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is a season Vaughn, that we, Vaughn should be gone. <laughs> this is a season that we knew a lot of guys were going to be getting some work in the in the in the case of 
trying to find out what you have. Like, that's what this roster is. You've got talented guys, but we knew we weren't going to be winning a Super Bowl. You compete for the division because you've won it before, and it's, quite frankly, a shitty division. But, you know, you, you get a chance to see some of these guys that you would not see during a championship window season, like Keyshawn Vaughn. But he's one of those rare guys on the roster where we've just we've simply seen enough of them, and, and it is what it is. Like you said, it'll be interesting to see how they target the running back position. Wanted to pick your brain about the quarterback that is Baker Mayfield. We haven't talked too much about him up until this point, but call me crazy. I know it's too early to tell because we're not even halfway officially through the regular season, but at 1,800 yards, 12 touchdowns, and four interceptions, when this offense is rolling, when this offense is playing competent football, I think Baker Mayfield has played well enough to earn another contract in Tampa Bay. I think I think Baker is what he is. Uh, Baker, at this point, is a game manager. Um, he's not going to win you any games. Certainly not going to will you will you to win any games. I don't think he's going to lose you many games. Basically, you know, solely on his play. Um, I feel like there's been some really good things that Baker has done. It's also been some what are you doing things that yeah. Baker has done. Um, I know the big argument last week, I'm on Twitterverse or Xverse, whatever you want. That just sounds dirty, but (laughs) whatever you want to call it was, um, you know, Baker was where everyone's blaming Baker. What about the offensive line? The wide receivers can't get any separation. Then that got all shut down when the R data came out and Baker's got one of the cleanest pockets in the entire league. Uh, And then the next day the R data came out and said, oh, well, Mike Evans is getting some of the best separation of any receiver in the league, and Chris Godwin and Trey Palmer are slightly above average, slightly above 50%. Um, and you've got guys like DeAndre Hopkins who just can't separate anymore and stuff like yeah. that, who fans are like, oh, they should go up to DeAndre Hopkins, you know. Um, but, I, I, you know, that kind of started to you know, deteriorate that lot. I think Baker's missed a lot of guys. I think Baker's made a lot of good plays, a lot of good plays on his ability to escape. Um, the pocket. I feel like he's left the pocket too often. Yeah. Um, if he comes back on another year, this is not going to be. I think it's another one-year deal type deal. I don't think it's. Uh, we're going to give you a Geno Smith type contract. Yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. Like it, a lot of what I've seen from him this year, and the only thing that separates him from being just another guy at the quarterback position is. I have seen the potential with him stepping up in big moments. You know, Minnesota they needed key completions key first downs Ooh. and not only did he take one uh, for the team lower his shoulder and go fight for the first down he he had that great completion on the out route to Chris Godwin to win the game later on uh, the potential game winning drive against Houston you know I know that obviously no one's going to blame that loss on uh, if they are I think it's a little short sighted but not a lot of people are going to blame that loss on Baker and the way that this offense is just like you said he's a game manager Uh, he doesn't have to be the guy who goes out there and wins you the game. He's shown me a couple times this year that he can be, but you can't expect him to do that every single week. And I think some of the shortcomings of the offense this year are partially due to him just being off target, not being able to hit guys down the field. You know, it was, it was a problem the first seven, eight weeks of the season last year, I think was the first game all year that he didn't have a a pass batted down at the line of scrimmage. You know, that's been an issue. Uh, not hitting Mike Evans, leading him out of bounds, you know, missing on some of those deep shots. I totally get that. And that's why I do believe that if it's more of the same for the Bucks, and they finish with a good enough record to get a mid-round pick that isn't going to help you, my gut says 
that Todd Bowles sticks around and we get another year of Baker Mayfield in this offense on a one year deal, kind of kind of like you had said there. But you know, when I talk about him playing good enough to get another deal, I definitely don't think he has earned a long term extension. I don't want people to get that idea from what I'm saying. But I think with what we have seen from this Bucks team and what their options are going to be at quarterback at the end of the year, I don't think it's too unrealistic to say Baker could be back in Tampa for at least another season. It's tough. You know, when you look at this team, I I wonder if the division was different. Would they have a different approach to this season? Obviously, you want to, you know, GMs and, and coaches are trying to win every year, you know, because if you don't win, you get fired. Everyone wants to keep their job. No one wants to lose their job. But at the same time, um, if this division wasn't so bad and the Bucks are three and five and everybody, I mean, you, you've got a, some, a team up by like four games already, five games already, and you're pretty much out of the discussion, um, you, you know, like the Eagles, you know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. then maybe you switch over and say, all right, what do we have in the kid? Or maybe you're taking a different approach to the offseason. Um, but that's just not the case. So the Bucks. Are, as you said, they're in this let's see what we have type season. It's a it's a retool, not a rebuild. They're not tearing it down because they have too many talented pieces that they're going to continue to have in the future. They've got young guys, the guys that are going to resign here. I think it's too part of this was, you know, okay, we know we have some free agents we got to pay. You know, can Antoine Winfield stay healthy for a full season and earn that, you know, record setting, reset the market type contract? How does Trisha Wirfs do at left tackle? You know, is he going to, are we going to have to figure this out and put him back at right tackle? Is he a liability? Is he just a guy? Is he just above average? No, he's been all pro. So, you, you know, you know you got to pay them. Devin White asked for a trade. Straight up. Mm-hmm. Um, he's making $11 million in a fifth-year option. Completely normal to play in a fifth-year option. Uh, he wants 18 to $20 million a year. All right, well, let's see if you can earn that. He's not. So you find that out this year. Mike Evans wants to be paid the Cooper Cup. Mm. You find that out this year, you know, <laughs> that he's not Cooper Cup money. Yeah, he's been good, but the fact that it hasn't just – I mean, everyone wants to be like, oh, Dave Canales, you know, you're, oh, where's Evans? Where's Godwin? Like, the defense isn't playing. Right. <laughs> he's just like, I don't want to go to these guys. Let's see if we can beat them with Trey Palmer and Rakim Jarrett and Keyshawn Vaughn. This is not what's happening there. You know, the, they are playing defenses whose sole object is to take away Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Why? Because your third receiver is Trey Palmer and Devin Tompkins. Why? Because you've got a run game that's ineffective. Why? Because Kate Otten is a second-year tight end who is slightly above average at the position, if best. Below average as a blocker, slightly above average maybe as a receiver. Um, and you've got Rashad White, who good at, good as a wide receiver. But if you take those two guys away on every play, take your safeties, play too high, say we're going to take these guys away, then that's why you're seeing occasionally you'll get the deep shot to Evans. You have one for 41 yards, Evans pushed the guy. <laughs> like you thought he was going to get away with that. Um, and it was called back. Then he hits him later for 55 yards. Otherwise, that's why you're seeing these Godwin catches for – you know, if you're lucky, you're getting 15 to 16 yards usually on a Godwin catch. You know, but most of them are six, seven yards, and you're just trying to hit them. They're taking away these guys because they know that the Bucks' offense isn't deep enough. The the gauge injury, and and I know everyone's oh, gauge is not a healthy anyways. You know, but the gauge injury was such a detriment to this team because 
um, now you're relying on these things. And I know that people are like, well, why did they make a move for a wide receiver? Why did they bring someone in? Why aren't they looking at Martavis Bryant? You know, why aren't they looking at these guys? It's just they don't have cap space. And Jason doesn't want to trade a pick because we're in that season where you find out what you have. So you're not going to trade a future pick to find out what you have. What if, you know, you could use that to trade up. We've seen what the Bucks have found in later rounds before. I mean, you know, so it's just like – it's one of these situations where, um, you know, Baker is another one of these guys. Find out what you have. So far, you're finding out you have a game manager who, who's not going to do anything to lose your games, but is probably a middle of the road, probably closer to a 20s, you know, early 20s type of quarterback. Not going to win your games. Not going to go above average. He's going to play hard. He's going to play feisty. He's going to put his neck on the line. His teammates are going to respect him. But he's just not the guy who's going to. And maybe that changes with if he comes back another year and they put more pieces around him. You know, they, maybe they get a first round wide receiver and fill out that wide receiver room, or they get a good tight end and fill out that room. Maybe all that changes in Baker. Uh, you know, they get the running game going. You know, and, and that takes a lot of pressure off him. Who knows? But in this offense, it is what it is, and they're finding out that he is what he is, and that what all these other guys are, like you said. So it's season final question for you jc i want to know your prediction straight up don't even sugarcoat it will mike evans be a tampa bay buccaneer next season because you look at the cap situation obviously the bucks are going to have much more room to play with taking the brady hit all at once but you still got to pay these guys big contract coming up for tristan Wirfs. huge contract coming up for antoine winfield jr not on uh, not only that but the list of free agents you're going to have again at the end of this season levante david being one of them devin white being another contract concern Looking at Mike Evans, who drew a definitive line in the sand, courtesy of his agent, a couple of weeks before the start of the season, do you think he'll be back, or do you think the Bucks are looking at maybe some of these high-profile wide receivers they could land in the middle of the first round to prepare for life after Mike Evans? Yeah, I mean, you got Godwin the next year too, so I mean, you got to continue. You got to put that into consideration as well. Then, you know, Joe Tryanchenka, do you resign him? Because he's going to be up. If you don't pick up his fifth-year option, he's done after next season. Uh, there, there's it, it's not just this season they got to take an account for. And if Evans is asking for a big deal, um, I don't think they, I don't think they, I don't think they meet those demands. Now, I think they do the same thing they did with Levante, same thing they did with Carlton, same thing they did with Jamel Dean. Say, so go out there, tell us what you got. We want you here. You want to be here. We don't want to split up. But at the same time, the Bucks have to think financially. You know, it's not just about this is a not a you know what this is not a what have you done for me, and we'll pay you based on that. This is what are you going to do for me, and we'll pay you pay you based on that. A lot of people like to think that you know, oh look at what he's done. You know, you should look at he's he's been this guy and he does everything for the fans and everything. He deserves what you know. Pay this man. It's not how it works. You know, he's on the wrong side of thirty years old, and we're already seeing his snaps go down in every game. You know, he's got to come to the sideline. He, he can't play. He hasn't played a full game all year. It's not because he's injured. You know, it's just because he can't go wire to wire like he used to. So is that worth $28 million for a guy who's got to take seven, eight, seven to ten plays off a game on offense? I don't know. I mean, you tell me. I don't, you know, um, I don't think so. If Evans comes, if Evans comes back, there's so many teams with cap space next year. Yeah. 
You asked me for a prediction. I'm that's, just dancing around it. That's the thing is that not only you know do all these teams have cap space, the cap is going up. You know the market for the wide receiver has gone up. And there's going to be one team in the NFL because there's always one. There's going to be one team. I say team. no. You say, I say no. You say he won't be back. I, I say no. I think the Bucks probably are at 18 to $20 million, and they don't want to pay that. Um, especially with, you know, $29 million wrapped up in their cornerbacks, plus probably another at least $14, 15000000 million coming for Antoine Winfield. So, I mean, you look at that, you're already, you know, you're already 40-something million dollars in your cornerbacks and, and safety. Do you want to wrap up? And, again, it depends, like, where they drafting. Can they get a cheap quarterback so it makes sense? Does Baker come back for a deal somewhere, you know, around $10 million? So, they, you know, like, uh, there's so many variables to call it now, but I say that another team will offer him more. Bucks will want to pay him, and it's down to him. Same kind of like what what happened with Levante. Another team will offer him more, and the Bucks will pay him. I don't think he'll want to leave, but I think at the same time, you know, he's he's, he's trying to make money. He's looking I would at, I would think Houston would be a spot for him. Right. I would look at Houston for a spot. Yeah, I mean, look at their look at their depth chart. I know that those guys absolutely tore the Bucks to shred on Sunday, but they were not any names that you knew or had heard before. I don't think many people were talking about Tank Dell uh, before last week, as far as you know that Houston wide uh, Houston wide receiver room goes. But my prediction kind of falls in line with what yours is. I I do think the Bucks take the same approach they did with a lot of the other free agents they've had. Just let him hit the market, let him see what he's worth. You know, Mike Evans had kind of a rough start to the season especially for hoping to get 26 plus million dollars a year, uh, had some drop issues and it hasn't been a hundred percent resolved, but he has looked better and more active when he is on the field these last couple of weeks. So I know he's on pace for something like 1250 yards, double digit touchdowns. Once again, um, I think 60 or 70 something catches. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but he's going to be a productive wide receiver. But just like you said, you think about the money, the bucks already have tied up into other positions and the fact that, that you're already paying Chris Godwin over $20 million at the wide receiver position. That is an old, well, sorry, that is an expensive wide receiver group if you're paying over $40 million for your top two. And let's face it, like you said, Mike Evans on the wrong side of 30, unfortunately. And 30 seems to be that magic number for most wide receivers in the NFL where you're not going to get any better. And um, it's all about what you can do throughout the next few seasons, just like you said. I'll say this. There's only one other team that are paying their wide receivers 20 plus million dollars um, this season, and that is the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Mike Williams is on IR this year. Yeah. yeah $20 million of resources on IR. I mean, the Bucks know a thing so, or two about putting uh, some money on IR, man. Let me tell you that, too. <laughs> right. I mean, well, so, I mean, do you want to take that game? Well, plus, you look at it, too. I mean, look at the contracts they've given out to older guys. Recently, Ryan Jensen, Shaq Barrett. I mean, do you want to give another guy that's on the wrong side of 30 a big multi-year deal? I don't think they – maybe they can come to agreement on a one-year deal. There's so many variables that go into it, too. Like, does Evans want to sign right away? Does he take his time, kind of see what the market plays out, see where he wants to go, test the water? So, I mean, ultimately, I think he wants to be back, but I think – 
It all depends on so many different variables that the Bucks can can bring him back. If another team offers him twenty five million dollars, I think he takes it. Um, if it's the right location, he's not just going to anywhere who's paying. Yeah, I think Houston would be somewhere he would go. You know, young after seeing what they did up r- firsthand, D'Amico Ryan's is highly respected in the league. They got a young quarterback, CJ Stroud, who I think was the best, who I thought was the best quarterback in the league. I mean, in the draft. Um, they can pay him, and that's his home. You know, he lives in Houston in the off season. He only comes back to Tampa for to play and for like off season workouts and stuff. Other than that, he's in Houston, Galveston area. If that's where he lives, that's where he grew up. Um, maybe you know, a few other places if they're right there to get a ring. You know, I think I think the Niners still have a ton of cap space, so you know, maybe that's an option. I I don't know. I just um, you know, they've got to be a team that's going to that's right there. I don't think he wants to go cold weather. I mean, I, I I'm just drawn to Houston for him. If if it doesn't work out for the Bucks, I think that's a logical landing spot for them. I mean, Noah Brown, Tank Dell, Nico Collins. I like both of those guys, but you had a Mike Evans, uh, another option for CJ Stroud. I think that provides them a big big boost on that offense. I think he's going to make him wait. Uh, I think he will. You know, eleventh hour, make him sweat it out. See what these other teams have and. Uh, my prediction is if he signs, it's it's going to be one of those, you know, like around April, around the draft, where a couple weeks beforehand, you're all sweating it because you don't know what the Bucks are going to do in the first round because are they going to address this wide receiver room or not? I don't know. We are still uh, quite a while away from crossing that bridge, but, you know, as time seemingly flies by, it will be here before you know it. But, JC, I do want to thank you so much for your time, my friend. JC Allen, Absolutely. ladies and gentlemen on the podcast, where can the people find you and your work? Yeah, follow me on Twitter at JCLN NFL. One stop shop for all Bucks talk, whether it's from the Buccaneers, whether it's my content, whether it's content from the great Bucks uh, collaborative collabor- collaborators around the uh, the local market, their stuff, um, PFF grades, etc. I've got everything you're looking for right there on my page. Uh, find all my work at Bucks Game Day. Got an article dropping today. My extra point thoughts on the game. Three up, three down. Got a podcast coming out tomorrow. Uh, Sick Podcast Network. Pirate Parlay. Definitely check that out. I've had a bunch of players on and coaches so far. Uh, I had Cody Mock on last week, but I've had JTS on. Yaya Diaby. Uh, Coach Canales was on. That was a good one. Uh, Christian Izian. So go check that out. Go watch some, some of those episodes. Like and subscribe. I love that. You can find me. You know, I'm, I'm everywhere. <laughs> Looking forward to more great stuff. Thank you again, man. Follow our show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast, best place to go for updates on the show. And, of course, Tampa Bay Buccaneer news as it happens. Last but not least, you can find myself, Instagram, and Twitter at Redicus, R-H-E-T-T-A-K-U-S. If you follow me, I will follow you back. We'll talk to you Friday for our game preview episode. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in Raymond James Stadium as they get ready to take on Another rookie quarterback. Will Levis and the Tennessee Titans come to town. We got you covered. I'll be back with Mr. Bucks Nation on Friday afternoon. I'm your host, Rhett Matthews, signing off for my guest, J.C. Allen. We'll talk to you in the next one. Until then, and as always, thank you for listening, and go Bucks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.